penetrating to our hearts. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so the plan was to start our new series today. I'm trying to figure out where my camera is on my phone. I think it's down here in the lower right. I think that's it. But um, you're just going to have to roll with me looking in the wrong place. Um, our, our new series is going to be an ex a long, I would imagine, journey through the book of Acts. I'm super excited about going through the book of Acts, but I did not want to start the book of Acts on a Zoom call. So the decision was, do we just cancel or do we just, and, and I said, you know what, let's do, let's do a, an extended devotional, a sermonette, which is actually a reworking of a sermon from years ago uh, on the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. And so if you have your Bible there with you, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29. And we are going to be looking at particularly at verse uh, 25. 25. Recall that Proverbs 1 through 9 really lays the foundation for all of the Proverbs, almost how to read the Proverbs, two ways, two women, two paths. And... Um, only one leads to life, one leads to righteousness, and then the rest of the book is what this looks like teased out. What does skillful living look like before God? And so when we turn to Proverbs 29, 25, we read this. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, if you, by, if, by the way, I, sh I guess I should have mentioned this earlier, about 45 minutes ago, maybe less than that, 30 minutes ago, I had Susan send out an email that had a PDF attachment that has uh, a very extended outline to help you follow along through some of these things. I thought that would be helpful because there aren't going to be any slides. I just don't have the technical know-how to get all that done and present it up on the screen, and it's just not happening, Okay. But the fear of man lays a snare, and whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We kind of, we really got to get our hands around this idea of fear, don't we? Um, after all, we learned in First John that perfect love casts out fear. So, what exactly are we talking about? Well, before we get around to what we're talking about, let's talk about what we're not talking about. And when we hear about the fear of the Lord or the fear of man in Scripture, um, uh, no, uh, no, we are at. Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25. Um, yes, thank you. And I, I'm okay with this not being like a super seamless thing, y'all. This is just this is just us being together around the word, okay? Uh, the thing is, no, it, uh, fear is not a phobia. This is not an inordinate fear of a particular thing. This is not arachnophobia. This is not acrophobia. This is not coolrophobia, which if you didn't know, is the fear of clowns. And I had to put that in there because I didn't know it either. But it's not some kind of phobia as we typically use the word. Also, it's not a healthy awareness of danger. Um, you know, I hear gunshots and I fear for my life. That's not it. There's, I hear of a tornado warning and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm scared. That's not the fear that's being talked about. Nor are we talking about fear as some kind of state of, of, of psychological bewilderment. I'm being, I'm startled, I'm overwhelmed. You know, I go to a haunted house, uh, I jump, a jump scene in a movie, maybe. All of those things might be characterized as fear in some general sense of the word, but it's not the kind of fear that's being discussed here. 
What is fear then, particularly in the wisdom literature? What's really interesting is that the word translated fear is also the same word that in many other contexts is translated uh, anxiety, translated panic, sometimes translated as trembling. And so we're going to take that as a baseline here. And, And word studies like that are helpful, but really it's the context that rules. And right here, we can understand the fear of man because of the contrast that we get in the proverb. You see this all the time where the second line of a proverb either contrasts with or it parallels. It kind of repeats the first line. So here we have uh, the, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So what is this idea of trust? Well, trust is something that always has an object to it, right? It is always counting on something or someone, looking to something or to someone. When I trust someone, in most cases of, 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 of personal trust, I'm not talking about trusting that the rope will hold me rock climbing or something like that, but in terms of personal trust, there is someone who is responsible for doing something that is very important to me. And, and they are the object of my trust. I'm having a particular kind of faith in that thing, and I'm believing a certain kind of thing about that person. And insofar as I'm trusting the Lord, the second half of the verse says, I am secure. I'm safe. I I I can be confident. Now, certainly, this is not talking about physical safety any more than the first half of the verse is talking about physical safety or, or physical safety or falling into physical snares. The idea is that my soul, who I am, my life in that sense, will be safe. It'll be secure. That I'll have groundedness. It will be well with my soul. And so having said those things, I want to offer this succinct analysis that you have there in your notes of just what fear is. Because once we understand what fear is, then we can talk about fear of man versus fear of God. And I'm suggesting to you that fear is a a controlling concern or anxiety to gain or avoid something. So my best illustration of this, I've recycled 100 times. um, And so now it's time for the 101st time. And and that is, for me, not for many of you, I get it, but for me, the, the kind of the holding the newborn thing, all right? So someone passes you a newborn baby, no, no, not you, passes me a newborn baby, and and there's that always that very tense moment of transition, you know, and then you kind of hold, you know, support the head and everything, and and and, and, and then you have this small, tiny little image bearer there in your arms, and every time I hold a newborn baby, I experience this kind of fear. Now, I'm not afraid of the child. That's not it. But all of my concern and my control, what I'm controlled by in that moment is this child and its preservation and taking care of it and its wellness and having my attention focused upon it. And if someone someone bumps into me um, regularly, I don't care. Someone bumps into me while I'm holding a newborn, they're a threat. Someone tries to distract me while I'm holding a newborn, they're a threat. Okay. I have this controlling concern. It dominates what I'm doing, how I act, whether I'm sitting or standing, who I'm willing to be around because I am holding this precious child. And I am genuinely 
afraid of the consequences of mishandling this image bearer, this beautiful, valuable thing. That's that's what I'm suggesting here, a controlling concern or anxiety. Uh, in the case of fearing man or fearing God, then I am I am trusting, I am acknowledging that someone can provide me provide me with or deprive me of some of my deepest desires and felt needs, whether or not they're actual needs or not. So I look at someone and I act before them. I live before them, walk before them with a deep desire and concern to have something or to avoid having something occur. And I say, you can make that happen for me. That's the trust point for me. You can make that happen for me, and I will act for you. And so critically, fear of the Lord is not merely respect and reverence. Sometimes you hear that. It certainly involves that, but it includes more than just fear and, and reverence. It is a kind of mastering reverence, you might say, or I've described it as a controlling anxiety or concern towards something. So if that's what fear is, what does it look like to fear man? What does it look like to fear a man? Then we'll look like, then we'll take a look at what it looks like to fear God. Let me just give a few examples, and again, you have them there in your notes. First, I can fear a man in the form of social ease. This generally takes the the uh, the form of not wanting to upset anyone, not wanting to offend anybody, not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings. And oftentimes fear of man can wear these very soft, very nice clothes and frankly in some cases and certainly not all but in some cases it can be a very soft blanket for cowards to hide under people who fear man who desperately want to hear the applause or approval of a certain crowd because of what it does for them or because of they're afraid of what they might lose if they say the wrong thing what about freedom what about uh, i mean in some cases actual imprisonment some other form of punishment particularly where we find ourselves in this cultural moment where there's new rules made up every day about who can say what and what you can't say and and and, and people are literally trying to prosecute other people just for uh, just just for using language in ordinary ways what about my life itself is it not jesus who says do not fear do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. So maybe it's my own life. I can fear man, and I, and I might even really justify my actions in light of that. Hey, it was a life or death situation, and Jesus says, "Don't fear man. Don't fear. All they can do is kill you." I think that's what Doctor Piper said before. All they can do is kill you. You know. So there could there should be a controlling and concern and anxiety for someone else in this case. God. What about material consequences? I fear man. I'm, I, I have this controlling or concern, anxiety to act before certain people in certain ways, say certain things, because I'll lose money if I don't. I mean, I'll get fired from my job. You know, I, 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 I'll get passed up for this promotion. I know that saying or acting this way might you know, produce friction there in the office or at the um, or whatever it is. Um, we won't get to use this person's condo on vacation if, if this happens. Maybe if you're, and this, by the way, this infects the church too. Well, what, 
well, what happens if this church member, you know, is upset? Well, maybe they'll stop tithing. Okay? And the idea is, you just can't, especially from a pastoral standpoint, you just can't care about those things. That's where you just have to leave it to the Lord. If someone stops tithing, too bad. There's another church that would love to have those folks. Because if we're going to preach the truth and in grace and love, and, and people want to try to use their money to be manipulative, um, then good riddance. Can't fear man, especially in the pulpit, but but really no more so than any other area of life. And then finally, one example here is acceptance or approval, perception. This is this one is particularly devilish because there is a, a part of it that's true. I want to appear a certain way, but we should want to appear a certain way because we are a certain way. In other words, the appearance should be the effect, not our actual goal itself. So. Uh, people want to, will say, well, if I don't do certain things, if I don't say certain things, I don't act certain ways, then these people will think of me as this kind of person, or they won't validate my, they won't validate me, they won't affirm me, they won't approve me. You know, I want people to say that I'm a, I'm just this solid Christian, or I'm a great mom. You know, I, oh, I want them to, we have, if we do this, people might think, oh man, they, they don't, they don't have the great marriage that we thought they had. And, and so because of that, to put up, to keep that front up, you, you don't go get help like maybe you should or, or be vulnerable in certain conversations about areas where you need help. Why? Because then people might know it's fear of man, it's fear of man, what people would think. You're, you're being controlled. You're being controlled by what other people think of you because it does something for you. It makes you feel great because the praise of man feels so good. And anyone who and anyone who denies it is just a liar. Now, you don't have to. I don't mean necessarily being publicly praised. Some people don't want to be publicly recognized at all. But even just the quiet applause over your life can be intoxicating. And this is why this is such a problem. This is why it lays snares. Okay, the fear of man lays snares. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But the list goes on and on. I don't say this. They won't think I'm. That they won't think I'm intelligent. I don't. I don't want people to think I'm, that I'm dumb. Or, that I'm, or forget even dumb, just average. I don't want people to think I'm average intelligence. Average intelligence is not acceptable. I'm elite. And on and on and on. I fear man by fawning after acceptance and approval and perception. Now, there are two, at least two, ripple effects that this has. The first ripple effect is that keeping up appearances leads to two things. Number one, conversational spotlighting, and number two, outright lying. Conversational spotlighting is when all of a sudden you find this magical way to direct conversations to highlight the part of your life or your actions or your words or your uh, marriage or parenting or whatever it is that places you in a good light. Hey, we're talking about the baseball game, but somehow now we're talking about how you're such a great dad because you 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 volunteered to coach. You know there's that's what conversational spotlighting is. It's I'm going to find some way to make sure that in the optics of this conversation, I get a double thumbs up. And then sometimes it turns to outright lying. You don't want to appear naive, so you lie. You don't want to appear um, out of the loop, so you lie. Uh, you don't want to appear any other number of ways, and so you lie or you tell a half truth, which is still a lie. That's the first ripple effect, particularly of this last one, acceptance, approval, fawning after these things. The second ripple effect is that fearing man in this, this way um, 
does something that fearing man in other ways does not. And I have it there in your notes is the fusion effect of the fear of man. Sin attempts to wed sin in the form of fear of man, particularly here. And, and um, well, uh, let me just come back to that. Sin attempts to wed our identity in Christ with our strengths, abilities, and performances. This right here is where fear of man comes together with idolatry. Okay. And if you think back through the examples that I've given, you can probably see how tightly they're not the same thing, certainly. Um, but you can see how they are excellent bedfellows. You can see how tightly woven together and are they are. I have an idol of wanting to be perceived this way. And so I have a controlling anxiety to behave this way from a you know before before other people. Okay. They're kind of like twins. But let me tell you what happens here by use of an illustration. You know, we moved or the last house that we were into that we that we were into that we moved into that we lived in. That we moved into, and like everyone else, we started hanging pictures on the walls and trying to lay out all our stuff, and it was a disaster, just like every move in the history of the world is. Now, what my son wanted to do is um, put up his own pictures. Now, of course, what that meant was taping. Taping his drawings to the wall. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's cute. And then it came time for the drawing to be taken off. And of course, right there in the brand new house, like middle of the living room, take that tape, and guess what? Took the paint off right with it. Awful. I was horrified just sitting here staring at this, these blotches. Like, what on earth is this? You see, what I was trying to take off was just the tape, but it had fused together, right, with the paint, and that came off with it as well. And here's the thing. If that becomes the case, then that makes accountability in our lives extraordinarily difficult. Why? Because when people want to just peel off something and say, hey, I'm concerned about this, or they offer you constructive criticism, or they give you some kind of piece of feedback, it tears off the paint too. Part of you, it becomes personal. Part of you is getting peeled away, right? Part of you is getting attacked. It isn't just someone trying to make an observation about your life. No, it becomes a personal attack. And so now I become defensive. And then what happens? I come defensive and then I get angry because now personal feedback, because it's taking off some of me, it becomes an insult. And maybe I erupt, maybe I have shut down bitterness, but by my actions, I teach people, you better not do that anymore. And people will listen and they will give up on you. They will just kind of let you go. I'm not saying they should, but they will. The fusion effect of the fear of man. Once these two things are fused and trying to point something out to someone about their life, if it's in one of these areas, it hurts when it gets torn away and people will just cling to it to the bitter end. Fear of man by fawning after the approval of man is devastating. Okay. So those are some prominent examples, but what does life look like in the fear of man? What does life practically look like boots on the ground? Notice that the proverb says that fear of man lays a snare. It doesn't say it is a snare. Isn't that interesting? It says it lays a snare. So think of like a bear trap. 
you know, you open it up right. I'm not flexible enough to go any further than that. But anyways, it's a very realistic looking bear trap here. And what happens is, you know, you lay out the bear trap and then the bear steps in it and it, and it gets its foot or whatever. And I'm sure that causes great distress for a lot of people that such things exist. But anyways, that's the idea behind this, this snare. The idea is fear of man lays these snares, these proverbial bear traps all over your life. They exist in your bedroom. They exist. Uh, you've got the, the snare uh, cell phone case for that conversation or that text message that you're having. You lay, it, it lays snares in your office, right? You've got the, you've got the, the, the snare software on your, on your Zoom calls for work. You got snares laid out around your house and in your kitchen and snares in your church that you lay out. And so what do you have to do if that's the case? Well, you have to structure your life by navigating through the minefield, the snare field rather, right? That you created. Life becomes very perilous when you fear man because lurking behind every corner, every corridor, every pew perhaps is potentially incredible pain, right? Fear of man lays snares and fear of man lays the more the more you fear man the more ways you fear man the more snares that you set out for your life that's the first part of the landscape of fear the second part is fearing god and fearing man are our only two options that's it there's no such thing as fearing animals there's no such thing as as you know fearing inanimate objects scripturally it's fearing man and fearing god which makes things very simple to analyze fear of man leads to foolishness Fear of God leads to wisdom and knowledge. So Proverbs 1, 7, you have it there in your notes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1, 28 and 29, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord. This is why the person who's trust in the Lord, this is why the person who trusts in the Lord is safe. Their life is safe because they aren't laying traps everywhere for themselves. Right? They're not laying traps. What they are walking in wisdom and they are not about, you know, starting a trap laying enterprise for their life. Because we obey. And our lives are shaped by what we fear. You've kind of got a map, a social, spiritual life, a domestic map of your life. You've got traps. And what you have to do, again, is you have to navigate life with the traps that you lay because of your fear of man. The snares that you've set up and you know where to stay away from and you know where is safe space and you know this and that. And some people have, I think everyone's got snares. Everyone has snares. We're going to talk about that in the application here in a second. Everyone's got snares, but some people have tons of snares. Where it just is, it's just they fear man in so many ways. They fear man, they're devastated by so many things. Their life just becomes so hard because they fear man so much. That's the landscape of fear. What is the landscape of the fear of God? However, look like.
fear of God in Christ. I have them listed out there for you. I hate sin and wickedness in light of wisdom, Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Do you hate sin and evil, or does it just kind of annoy you? You know, enough that you want to make it go away, and, and you, you really do want to see change, right? But you don't want to make change to see the change, because that part's hard. Everybody wants to see change. Very few people, comparatively speaking, want to make changes. Fearing the Lord means hating evil. And I would say a good litmus test for whether or not you hate evil is whether or not you are willing to make changes. Otherwise, I would say it's just something that you, you know, you kind of dislike and you wish would go away. Second, I have a controlling desire and anxiety to know God, Philippians 3.8. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so is that you? Is that you? Do you pursue knowing God like you pursue the things you are anxious to gain or anxious to avoid? Does he have that kind of prize of place? in your life. I have a controlling desire and anxiety to obey God, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only my presence, but now much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to act or work according to his good pleasure. I have peace with God, through Jesus Christ, as I am living life in the fear of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And my life, Paul says in Colossians, is hidden with Christ in God. I trust in the Lord, and because there is peace there, I am, Proverbs 29, 25, safe. I'm safe. My soul has a kind of security that can weather all storms, okay? And so even when the rest of my life is is, is, is maybe even falling apart, it can, I can still say it is well with my soul because of this right here. I have peace with God. I have peace with God. It's well with my soul. I'm safe. My inheritance is an eternal kingdom, Matthew 25, 34. The king will say to those on his right, it's the famous final judgment, Matthew 25, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I am an heir of God and co-heir with Christ, Romans 8, 17. And, and if I forget that the kingdom to which I am an heir belongs to God and that he is going to bring it, I forget that. I will be tempted to set up my own little kingdom, and I will be a malicious prosecutor of people who do not obey the rules of my little kingdom in my little house or my little business or whatever the case may be. My kingdom. Sit on my own throne. Make my own rules. But the idea is we are waiting for the kingdom to come fully, even as it has already come in Jesus. That is my inheritance. 
what about my identity? The last one there. My identity is in, you guessed it, union with Christ. And in fact, the last Sunday school lesson that we're going to go through on union with Christ is about identity. But let me just read this here. Listen, listen to how identifying this is. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So who am I? The world asks. Who are you? What do you have to say for yourself? I'll tell you who I am. I'm a child of God, First John 3. I'm someone who has peace with God through Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. I am united to the Son of God, Philippians 2.1. My inheritance is an eternal kingdom, Matthew 25.34. I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ, Romans 8.17. I will judge Angels, 1 Corinthians 6, 3. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Romans 8, 31. That's who I am. That's who I am. Who are you? Don't say that part. That's the idea. That's an incredible identity. That is living in the fear of the Lord instead of the fear of man. So if that's true, then it simply doesn't matter if you make a crummy meatloaf or can't cook very well, or you're not particularly intellectual despite how much you would like to be, or you don't make a ton of money, or you don't have a particularly nice house, or you don't have great social skills, or you aren't exactly a fitness model. The things that we are so often called to just crave. And fear man in order to get those things, or in most cases, appear that we have those things. And so insofar as my actions and my words indicate that people's acknowledgement of, of, of my abilities and my gifts and my performances and my strengths are crucial to my identity, insofar as the way I, as the way I say things and I act uh, indicates to people that those things are critical to my identity, I have forgotten who I am. I've forgotten who I am. I've feared man, and I've not feared God. And fear of man is going to lay a snare. Sin has fused those things in me, and life will become very difficult, and it will not go well with myself. So, to conclude then, how do we move forward in the fear of God, in Christ, and not fear of man? Three steps here to close. The first is simply identify. I've listed a couple of good questions to help you identify um, how and who you fear. Whose approval and acceptance do I functionally look to in order to feel good about myself and find value? And here, definitely, you can see the overlap with idolatry, right? 
whose approval and acceptance do I functionally look to in order to feel good about myself and find value? Is it, is it particular people in your church? Is it particular people in your home, is it your, your husband, your, your, your wife? Is it people at work? Whatever the case may be. And don't get me wrong. Um, everyone who's doing a good job wants, uh, you know, no, no, let me rephrase it negatively. If you are serving well, you don't want people to think that you're not serving well. Okay. So I'm not saying that there's not a, a perfectly fine way to want to be perceived as a good fill in the blank. But again, as I mentioned earlier, that should be an effect of actually serving faithfully as a fill in the blank. I hope that makes sense. Okay. But if you can answer this first question, you're going to know at least where you might start looking for where uh, you might tend to feel man. Of the possible things that could be done to me in this life, what things am I the most anxious to avoid? What people and things might I even sin to avoid? Again, this is going to tell us what is most critical, uh, what, what takes prize of place in our hearts, sometimes what we functionally worship. And, one, and that's the idolatry piece. And, and fear of man is always close by because I'm going to act before other people in order to make sure that those insecurities and those fears and those anxieties are alleviated because that's what anxiety does. It craves alleviation. It's like poison ivy and, and not itching. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it, I've got to have this stop. And so we tend to fear man to make sure that either stops or doesn't get started in the first to whom do I tend to avoid speaking difficult truths for fear of consequences? Is it your spouse? Because things don't go well when you speak those things. Is it your boss? Is it your friends? Is it your children? Whoever, whoever it is. You, there, there are things that you need to say. I'm not talking about optional things that are just throwaway words that you probably shouldn't say anyways. I'm talking about things that probably should be said in wisdom, but you say, it's just not worth it. Just not worth it. I have been taught by this person, these people, what happens when I do this? And um, I just don't want to deal with it. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't deal with the consequences that are going to come. Finally, whose disappointment in me is the most crushing? Oh, this is such a great one. Who, because this is going to tell you who you, who you try to perform for the most. Um, whose disappointment in me is the most crushing? Now, if this particular person does not approve of me or doesn't affirm me in some particular way, I'm completely and utterly devastated. Who is that? Who is that? Some diagnostic questions identify where you might tend to fear man in light of things that tend to perhaps be idols. The second is repent and remember. Repent to God first. I've not feared you as I ought. I have bowed down to other men and women in paralyzing fear of them, controlling concern for what they will think, what they will do perhaps in my career, in my life, whatever the case may be. Please forgive me. We have a sympathetic high priest who stands right now here on this cold Sunday morning on a Zoom call who understands weakness and he stands ready to forgive you of those things and fearing anything else besides him. Ask for forgiveness. Confess your fears to others you have there in your notes. They likely have the same ones 
You know, it's so as a pastor, one thing that is so interesting is that people come to you with their challenges and they somehow think they're unique. And and in, there are very rare cases where someone has a you know particular situations that are challenging. But but it's just, everyone has the same half a dozen or so. Uh, we'll, we'll call it a, maybe call it a dozen. They have the same half dozen or so problems. They have the same dozen or so fears. They have the same dozen or so struggles. And, and and they're afraid that saying it to someone will out them, because this is the fear of man part, as someone who is weak or is insecure or who just should be able to do it themselves, but they're just not strong enough to or something like that. But I'm telling you that that's just not the case. I'm telling you that that's just not the case. Okay? That confessing some of these fears to others, this is where I tend to fear man, it can help set you free from understanding. It can help set you free from things if you can bring yourself to say that, which requires humility, and it will likely require courage as well. Overcoming the fear of man is a community project. You cannot overcome the fear of man, I would say, simply in your uh, bedroom or at your house by yourself. It is a community project. Share examples of your fear of man. Use real examples, not hypothetical situations, and talk about it with people, okay? Fearing God leads to wisdom. When there is a multi, when there is no guidance and people falls, where there's a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Okay, so confide in that. Finally, here, no, not, not final. Finally, in this section, remember your identity that we just talked about. Preach your identity to yourself. Remember who you are. You're a future judge of angels. You're a future inheritor of the Lord. You're royalty walking around in the flesh. Okay, and and and. It's, it's not enough for this to just be a slogan. You have to own it. It has to go from head to heart to soul, right? It's got to it's seep into your soul where that's who you understand yourself as. In one sense, you're a big deal. Like, you're a big deal. Narrow is the path, okay? Narrow is the way. Only if you find it. You're in Christ. That's you. These promises and this identity this defines who you are. There are no small deals in the kingdom of God. I mean, you're someone who will one day be so glorious that if you saw yourself now, you'd be tempted to worship you. Right? The future version of yourself, to, to kind of borrow from C.S. Lewis. Finally here, after we've identified, after we've repented and remembered, what conversations then, having thought about this, do I really need to go have that I probably should have had already? Is it your spouse? Is it your your spouse? Wow. Is it your spouse? Is it your boss who is playing around in the gray area at work um, with this, that, or the other thing? I mean, is it your in-laws that have encroached on your marriage? Is it whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be, what do you need to do or what might you need to say? As a result of hearing some of these things, being remembered, remembering who you are and what is at stake here, what actions do I need to take that I probably should have already taken? Do I need to move my family from here to there? Do I need to allocate our spending differently? Do I need to stop living in the gray area when I file my taxes? Whatever. You know what they are, I don't. But what do you need to do? And then finally, in what areas and in, in which people can I be on high alert moving forward in, in order to crush my, my fear of man? So think right now of specific areas and, and specific kinds of areas in general. 
Think of specific people. Think of specific kinds of people that you tend to fear and, and categories in which you tend to fear because of some of your idols of the heart. Okay? And, and, and I'm telling you that you can have incredible success here if you are willing to sit down and do some self-surgery. Okay? If you're willing to sit down and ask yourself difficult questions and then go do difficult things, you will be transformed by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. Guaranteed, I promise you, I promise it will do nothing but be helpful for you. And, and so in closing, if you're not a believer, you should be genuinely terrified of God. Genuinely. Because those outside of Christ will face the wrath of God. But if you are in Christ, you have the honor of working out your salvation with fear in trembling before God. And that is a tremendous privilege and a tremendous honor, something that God guarantees as a good work that he will bring to completion. And so we need to be about, by the grace of God, fearing God and not man. Fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, safe. Let's pray.